With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome aboard the Athletics Can't Wait Jets podcast, your nonstop shop for all things Jets. Now here are your hosts, Tim McMaster and Connor Hughes. Listen safely. Can't wait. Hey everyone, welcome into another episode of the Can't Wait Podcast. It is December 3rd, Friday, December 3rd. Tim Yeesh. McMaster here along with Connor Hughes and Marissa Morris getting you ready for Jets and Eagles on Sunday at MetLife Stadium. It'll be the Eagles' second straight trip up to the New Jersey Turnpike. Last week didn't go so well. They fell to the Giants 13-7. to We'll talk about the game. We'll talk about some key injuries on the Jets, how that may affect them into the game. But before we get to all of that, it's already been mentioned in the chat. I'm impressed by the listeners. We got to talk about the fish that went to school that Connor has shined a light on thanks to Twitter. And it has now gone viral. I think 1,200 likes on Twitter. Um, Just explain this story, Connor. It is so funny. Yeah, it's actually why we're late because it's it's like uh, I woke up this I woke up this morning on time. I woke up at eight thirty, like ready to go, make my coffee, come in here and, and start the podcast at nine fifteen. And uh, NBC contacted me because they want to do a, a show on the or they want to do a this little like clip of what happened here on the NBA, on the Today Show for NBC. Um, they should so just they take like, this oh. part of the podcast and run it. Yeah, really. Yeah, at least promo the podcast. I know because I said they were like, "Oh, we'd love to ask you some questions about it." I was like, "Honestly, it's not my kids, so here's my cousin's contact information." <laughs> so they're gonna go contact Lauren and everything. But if you guys know about my family in any way, shape, or form, crazy, wild, insane stuff tends to happen, which is why when this happened, the you know obviously you're we're all journalists, so we're all cynical to some extent. You obviously learn to like not believe it, but. When crazy, unexplained, are you serious things tend to happen in my family, you just kind of go, okay, yeah, that's probably true. So I'm sitting at work yesterday and my cousin texts me, Lauren, and she goes, hey, uh, we we were talking about something. She goes like, man, she goes, you know, I kind of need a Xanax because I just got a call from Peyton's school that she took her fish with her in her sippy cup. And I was like, (laughs) what? And she goes, so amazing. Yeah, she goes, what? She goes, yeah, she goes, apparently... She woke up in the morning and she the fish's name is Mermaid or something like that. And she loves Mermaid and she didn't want Mermaid to be left at home while she went to school. So she got up and it's a beta fish. So it's in like the little fish bowl sitting on the counter. And when my cousin was making breakfast for the kids, like her and her, her older brother, Johnny, she took her sippy cup. She scooped the fish out or she put water in the cup, grabbed the fish with her hand, put the fish in the cup, twisted it and went to school. And, and the only reason that anyone found out about it was because Peyton forgot that there was a fish in her cup. So at lunchtime, you know, the teachers were like, hey, take out your your lunch and, and everything like that. And Peyton went to go drink her drink her drink. And all of a sudden, uh, her teacher noticed something moving in the cup and was like, oh, what the hell is that? And looked and it was a betta fish. So you can kind of see the pictures there of of what my cousin was dealing with yesterday with the, uh, the betta fish going to school and Peyton taking her there. So uh, wild, insane, crazy, and, and kind of just a glimpse into to the life of my family. And the good news, the happy ending here is, and probably because it was a betta fish, and those things are just tough, man. Those things can can live through anything. The fish oh, yeah. is still alive, right? Back home in yeah. its fish tank? 
Yep, the fish, the fish is alive. Everyone is fine. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a happy story that ends well. They got the fish because that's the first thing I said. I was like, "Is the fish dead?" Nope, fish is alive. All all is good in in uh, in in Fishland. I just love the photo of her smiling, holding it. Like I just can't imagine a your cousin getting that text and b being the teacher who like has so much to deal with and has probably all these funny stories on a daily basis. I've a whole family of teachers yeah. and they they share the funniest stories but i honestly don't think i've ever heard something that great like just no, know, I what, what's in yeah. your sippy cup and it's a live fish so shout out to peyton she made all of our weeks that was very very funny yeah that's the funny thing is that when it when it actually happened like when this all like came to <laughs> uh when this all like happened like i was like that is just wild. But now I started seeing, like, obviously I tweeted it. So I asked my cousin, I was like, you mind if I tweet it? Because I think this is just, like, gold. And she goes, yeah, go ahead. I don't care. She goes, go make Peyton famous. And um, I've been reading some of the mentions that have sent to me. And one Twitter user had a similar experience. She goes, you know, if, you, if we ever see each other in person, let me tell you about the time my kid took her cat and left it in her book bag. And oh just, like, God. brought a cat, put it in the book bag, and went on with her day. The joys of parenting. Tim, you have you you are you are on starting that journey. Connor and I have ways to go, but uh very, very Yeah, cute. we're still at the the most uh the biggest excitement is still a big poop at this point. So <laughs> we're uh, we got some time before this fish in sippy cups, but uh it's good to be prepared. Uh awesome, awesome story. Uh and I guess check it out on NBC maybe coming up soon. More on the uh the fish that went to school. Uh all right, back to the Jets. And uh, we continue to monitor. You know, it's we do it every day. You got to lead with with Zach Wilson. Uh, the latest, though, I want to talk about Connor is the fact that he heads into this game with the Eagles. Um, Corey Davis probably out again. Keelan Cole out. Um, down receivers in a situation where he's still trying to get comfortable. Um, not the best scenario as we take another step in the Zach Wilson journey. No, it's not. Sorry, my mouse pad died, and now I'm going to have to try to tweet without doing that. So can you actually just give me like one second for me to plug my mouse pad in? Give me like one second. This is also the joys of working with Connor. You know, you never know what's going to happen. Just kind of like a little child at school bringing their fish to school. <laughs> Look at that transition. You never know on a live stream what Connor's going to do. He could well, be under his like desk. Good. He could be, yeah, it's it's very entertaining. Well, I have Good to tweet muscle. too, and now oh, this is gonna be awful. Because now I have to tweet with my you left. You just tweet hand. from your phone. I'm not as fast, and Marissa doesn't tweet for me anymore, so I have to do this all myself. Oh joy! Well, I will have to say we did do a preview on the Eagles pod yesterday. Um, and you tweeted and... for Bo? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I did not. Um, and this is a big game for the Eagles because. They, they still have a shot at the playoffs, but if they're not calling it a must win, but they're calling it a can't lose game. So. I think the Eagles are really talking about the playoffs. That team is talking about You don't deserve to go to the playoffs like once with, you lose to the Are guys. they saying that because they mathematically have a shot, or are yes, like those three guys actually saying that they have a chance to make the playoffs? They mathematically have a shot. Yeah, there's a mathematical and, opportunity that like no, I'm going like, to run into to Vanessa Hudgens on the on the way to work tomorrow. Like It's not going to happen. Speaking of, like, I watched uh, Princess Switch 3 this week uh, ooh, to kick too. off the Christmas movie watching Connor with Vanessa Hudgens. I'm ready so. now. Oh, I've seen all Was it of good? them. I watched all three. I've loved her since yeah. High School Musical. Christmas three, uh, three was better than two. I think one was probably the best. Yeah, recently. definitely. Yeah. All right. And then all right. The anyway, Christmas back to the question at hand. Great. 
all the corny Christmas stuff. Anyone want to message me? I'll send you all of my recommendations. Okay. <laughs> all right, Back what was the question? to Corey Davis and Keelan. Question Cole. was Zach Wilson uh, trying to continue to progress here, but down some receivers. Yeah. Um, I think that's the thing with Zach. We'll, I guess we'll just start there is, is analyzing his play because that's what I tweeted. I heard Zach Wilson was like, we're going to talk Zach Wilson, which, you know, we're, we're totally off the rocker right today. This is what happens when I don't have coffee, by the way. This is like the bad news is that I am not firing on all cylinders in any. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Michael Dunn. Uh, I'm sure we're going to hear about this one on YouTube. Um, I think the thing with Zach is that there's a little bit of pressure on him now. I, I do genuinely believe that. And you can write off his struggles against the Texans as rust, you know, even though he didn't want to say rust. And I personally and I've, I've heard people within the Jets tell me like he was rusty and all that stuff. And fans have said he's rusty. I just don't buy into the whole rust, rust, rust thing because, yeah, he's a rookie. But Mike White had never played an NFL game before, and he went out there and, and threw for 400 against the Bengals. You know, Josh Johnson hadn't played an NFL game since 2018. He went out there and had success against the Colts. Joe Flacco hadn't played a game in over a year. He went out there and had success against the Dolphins. I mean, you have players that do not play that then step in and play well. And when those guys step in and play well, you never hear about rust. It's only when people struggle that you hear about rust. And so I didn't like that excuse. I didn't like that argument. I would have thought more of it being that his knee just wasn't hundred percent. And he was thinking about his knee and that he was just still dealing with all of the problems and the struggles that he had dealt with the first six starts of his career. He dealt with in start number seven, just four weeks later. And this was, you know, in spite of the fact that everyone and their uncle went on and on and on and talked on and on and on about how much better Zach was going to be when he got back out there in the lineup, how he was going to see things better. He was going to understand how to run the offense better. He was going to do this better and that better. And again, it was all because he got a chance to sit and watch. Well, Zach gets a chance to sit and watch. He then goes out there, struggles, and suddenly everyone isn't talking about how much beneficial it was to sit and, and talk. Suddenly, that gap and that time off was now a detriment, right? I mean, that's the way that this works. That's the way that 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 the way the things are explained to you work. That's the way that, you know, spin works. That's the way that fans just trying to grab onto anything to make them feel positive about something works. I mean, this was, oh no, he sat for a month. He's going to be so much better when he gets out there. Then he gets out there and he's not so much better. And then it's no, 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 he's rusty. The time off hurt him. He's hurt by the time off. It's like, well, you can't have it both ways, man. Like pick one or the other. If everyone's preaching about how much better he's going to be, and then he comes out there and he is not better. You got to say it and you got to write it and you got to talk about it. And that's what we've done. And what I'm going to be very curious to see is this is, again, another uh, Eagles team that I don't think is very good. Their defense is better than the Texans, but they're not a great team by any stretch. I mean, Fletcher Cox is getting older. They don't have Brandon Graham. The secondary, when they're not you know, making the big play with an interception, they, they can be had and they can be picked on a little bit. But this is a big one for Zach because if he comes out and plays like he did against the Texans against the Eagles – if he comes out and plays like he did his first six starts absent the Titans game against the Eagles at home, where there's going to be a lot of Eagle fans making the trip an hour and a half up to get to, to East Rutherford to watch this game for 20 bucks instead of paying $100 to see the Eagles play at home, I think you might honestly have a case of the Boo Birds that are back out there again at MetLife Stadium. It wouldn't surprise me at all to hear chants for someone else's name from MetLife Stadium. I mean, these are fans that want to see the quarterback and they want it. They'll buy in and, and they'll say like the majority, it's a chunk that'll buy in and say he's a rookie. This entire season is a wash. Just throw like two touchdowns the rest of the way and we'll focus on those two touchdowns the rest of the way. But there's going to be a chunk of people that look at this like, okay, he wasn't good for six weeks because he wasn't. He wasn't good against the Texans after a month off. 
Now he's had a month off, played a game, had another full week of practice because he's been practicing basically fully for the last three weeks. He's now had another full week of practice coming off of a game. There's no rust anymore. He's supposed to be playing better because he had a chance to see all of this stuff and, and, and see these things and do these things. He's not. What the hell's the deal? And so I think that there is some added pressure on Zach this week. I think there is going to be some hyped up, uh, pent up kind of emotions to come out there and play well in front of MetLife Stadium. If you think about his first home game against the Patriots, it was bad. If you think about his first time at MetLife Stadium in the green and white scrimmage, it was bad. He's a guy who tends to get a little bit more emotional and a little bit more more hyped up and wants to perform and wants to succeed and wants to excel. And that can sometimes take him out of his game. If that happens against the Eagles, an opportunistic defense that if you put passes out there, for that secondary to catch, they're actually the opposite of the Jets because they'll go out there and get it. I mean, Slay's already proven what? He's taken three to the house already from like 50-plus yards where there was a fumble and two interceptions. So they've got players on that defense that are opportunistic that if the ball's there, they're going to take it and they're going to do some damage with it once they have it. So this is one that I could see potentially getting out of hand if it goes that way. But I also see this as a, as a game that is one of the more important in Zach Wilson's career because he has to show some progress. He has to show things are going in the right direction. He has to show that he has taken a step. And if he doesn't do it, it might start getting a little ugly. And it's an interesting, you mentioned them them taking the ball of the house on picks, but you look at the way the defense, the pass defense for the Eagles breaks down. Um, they're very good against deep passes. Um, 72%. They play so much zone, it makes it tough. Quarterbacks are only completing 44% of passes over 20 yards, but they give up the short passes. So in theory, this is a great chance for Zach Wilson to like work on what he needs to work on, right? Which is the short passes, the check downs, because if you're going to be successful against this Eagles defense, that's what's going to do it. Do you think they're that the way that defense shapes up against the Jets? Does that help the staff just nail that point home to Zach that, dude, just take the short pass? Theoretically, yeah. But I, the one thing I'll say to him is that he has been taking the short pass. I mean, he tried to take the short pass against the Texans. In that's fact, true. the he's Jets' first touchdown drive. Yeah, the, the Jets' first touchdown drive against Houston, that's what they did. They dinked and dunked all the way down to Houston's throat, and then they scored a touchdown as a result. The biggest issue with the Jets is that Zach's been missing the dinks and dunks. Zach's been missing the easy throws. Zach's been missing the gimmies. I mean, we talked this week about uh, uh, Salah went went on and on this week on on a press conference about Zach Wilson's superpower, and he gave a great quote, which kind of made me the the Marvel DC junkie. Um, you know, where he said, you know, Clark Kent walked around as a normal person until somebody screamed help. And what it means is like Zach Wilson has this uncanny playmaking ability and this superpower is the way that he describes it, not me. Like Zach, like Robert Sala describes it as a superpower that when the play breaks down, Zach can run around, go left, go right, go center, go up, go down, go sideways, and then flip his wrist and the ball goes 50 yards down the field like you saw against the Titans and he finds Corey Davis for a touchdown or Keelan Cole for a big gainer, right? Like that's his superpower. And so the Jets want him like, you know, play within the structure of the offense. And then when you need your superpower, go and use your superpower. At this point, I'll be honest, I wouldn't be talking about superpowers anymore. I wouldn't be talking about these massive plays. I w- that, that's not what I would be doing. What I would be talking about is getting your quarterback to just complete 60% of his passes at this point. I mean, that's what I would be doing. I mean, look, it's seven games. The guy's 2-5 and five as a starter, completing 57.6% of his passes. He's got 1,300 passing yards, four touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and a quarterback rating of 629 
So look, maybe I'm being cynical here. Maybe I'm being negative and I don't, I'm still positive Connor and I still want to keep the positive juices flowing. But at the end of the day, like I wouldn't be sitting here talking about like Zach's superpower. I wouldn't be talking about playmaking. I wouldn't be talking about off script. I would be saying, look, we love that you can do it. We believe that you can do it, but let's just focus on the offense. Hammer that home because again, a superpower would be like, just complete 65% of your passes. Like that would be like the Jets would love that. Forget like the, if you're getting 57, 58 completion percentage and then occasionally a big one, but in response, you also get 10 interceptions trying to make the big one happen. Just don't go for the big one. Like he needs to just get back to getting the fundamentals down and the basics down. Because again, we talked about it on Monday when we did this show or Tuesday when we did this show, there was an 80 yard touchdown to be had with a slant to Elijah Moore. All he had to do was, it was like a run pass read option faked it to the running back, pulled it back, was like, there's my guy. I got him. But instead of setting his feet and just throwing a five-yard slant where Moore's going to catch it and be gone, maybe he's tackled at like the 10-yard line, but it's going to go for like an 80, 90-yard touchdown potentially with his breakaway speed and his youth. He's not getting caught from behind. Zach like doesn't set his feet, sidearms it. Instead of just throwing the ball, he sidearms it, and it goes inside and is nearly intercepted. Like, was he trying to go with his superpower there of like throwing off script and flick it? Like, just don't do that. Like, just play within the offense. Get to completing 65% of your passes. Get to moving the Jets consistently up and down the field. Get to hitting guys open and hitting the open receivers and getting the ball to the open receivers so the receivers can make plays on it. Because that's what Mike White did. That's what Joe Flacco did. That's what Josh Johnson did. They didn't try to make too much of it. They didn't try to break into any superhero powers or anything like that. All they did was see the open guy and throw to the open guy and hit him with accurate balls. We haven't seen Zach do that in seven starts. Even in the Titan game, we've gone back to this several times. Even in that Titans game, he had Corey Davis open on a 10-yard out to win the game, and he sailed it over his head. He had Ryan Griffin open right in front of him on, on a, on a play-action rollout, and he bounced it to him. Two throws that would have won that game outright. And instead, the Jets won the game because Javelin Gidry had an open field tackle on Derrick Henry, something I'm still trying to explain because it doesn't defy the laws of physics. But Javelin Gidry... Open field tackle on Derrick Henry in overtime. When Derrick Henry, if he's not tackled by Javelin Gendry, he's going to the house and the Jets are losing that game. So Zach Wilson's only win as a starter, I mean, that's that's also a major part of this. Yeah, the throw to Corey Davis is a big one. Throw to Keelan Cole. Throw to Seamus Carr. Big plays. But that's a big part of it as well. He struggled with hitting those gimme throws this entire season. He's got to start doing that. Make that your superpower. Make that you never miss a gimme throw. That would be a killer superpower instead of the one the Jets keep talking about. And like, in my opinion, it's not, now is not the time to talk about that. Now is about getting your young quarterback to start playing some decent football because right now that hasn't been happening. So whatever you got to do to get him to do that, whatever you got to do to get him there, do it. Whatever it takes. Don't talk about superpowers. Don't talk about bombs. Don't talk about all that stuff. Talk about making the easy parts of playing quarterback easy because right now they look so remarkably difficult for Wilson. Yeah, make it dull, make it boring. All right, we're going to take a break. And we'll talk about Corey Wilson and all those guys. Or yeah, Corey Davis and Zach Wilson, the guys that I completely did not talk about. We can get to that. And the defense when we come back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So if you were to look at the rundown for this podcast, the first thing on it is how will the absence of Corey Davis and Keelan Cole affect Zach Wilson, which is what I asked Connor at the beginning of the show. Uh, but Connor doesn't look at the rundown. So we're going to get back to that question now. Uh, Connor, it's going to, I mean, your top two receivers, not talent wise, obviously you're going to have Elijah Moore, but having those two guys down, how does that affect this offense? I think I... I go back and forth on it because I think Corey Davis is among the Jets' more reliable options. And and I say that knowing, obviously, he's dealt with drops. But he is a player that is always in the right place at the right time. You know, he's big-bodied, 6'3", 6'4", physical guy. Uh, Theoretically, he's one of those guys that you can say is a quarterback's best friend because he attacks the ball, like I said, always in the right place at the right time. And when the ball's around to me, is a pretty decent catch radius to go up there and get that. So... The Jets are going to miss that because, again, it's another weapon that's not on the field. Keelan Cole is more of like the stretch the field, go deep kind of a guy and speed and athleticism. He makes some crazy catches, but his absence I don't think will be felt as much or nearly as much as Corey Davis is because Davis is the guy that, again, the Jets got to be the safety valve. So what we saw when Zach was playing pretty well during training camp, what we saw was that when things went down on third down, he went to Corey Davis. When things when he needed a play in the red zone, he went to Corey Davis. He found his big-bodied guy who would box out and out-physical the defensive backs, and he'd get on the ball. And, and I think the Jets will probably miss his intensity and leadership, too, because you see, whenever he does catch the ball, and again, I know he's dealt with drops, but whenever Corey does catch the ball, he treats every play like it's like he's honestly he reminds me a lot in Quincy a lot he reminds me a lot of Quincy Anunwa in this regard, in that every time he catches the ball, he runs as if his like ass is on fire. He runs as if like this is the last time he's ever going to play football. He's throwing his shoulder. He's carrying everyone 10 extra yards. Obviously, it did lead to the fumble the one game, but like that intensity of once he gets up and he's flexing and he's screaming and he's yelling, that invigorates and gets the rest of your teammates and everyone else fired up. So the Jets will miss that. However, the first six starts of Zach's career, when Corey Davis was out there, he almost had like Corey Davis tunnel vision a lot. And it was that whenever it almost seemed like if the play was designed to go to Tor- Corey Davis as his first read, Zach locked eyes on Corey Davis and he gave Corey Davis almost like felt like four and a half seconds to get open before going to his next read. And that's one of the reasons why you saw some turnovers. That's why you saw an abundance of sacks. That's why you saw a lot of quarterback hits because he was never getting off his first read. He wasn't going, Corey's not open. Let's go to the next guy. He was going, Corey, wait for Corey, wait for Corey. Okay, now I'll go to his second one. Boom, he's hit. So I think almost not having Corey Davis in that offense, it could theoretically have a little bit of an impact like when you saw Jeremy Shockey leave the Giants in their during their first Super Bowl run where you finally saw Eli go, okay, that I've got. Now, Shockey was a boisterous, you know what? So he was more like, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, throw me the ball, which a young Eli Manning was like, all right, I'm going to go get him the ball. I'm going to, I'm going to, I need to get him his touches. I'm going to get him his touches. When then, when Shockey was removed, 
suddenly Eli started spreading the ball a lot more and you saw the Giants offense as a whole improve and they they used that offense to help get them to the Super Bowl. Matt Stafford with Calvin Johnson. Calvin Johnson obviously was not a, an a-hole by any stretch of the imagination like Shockey was, but he was a guy that demanded the ball in terms of his physical ability. I mean, the Lions went into games where they were like, you know what? We want to get Calvin Johnson the football. We want to get him the football. When Calvin Johnson retired, the next couple of years were some of the best statistical careers of Matt Stafford's career because suddenly he wasn't thinking, I got this dominant player outside. I want to get him the football. I'm going to do everything to get him the football. I'm just going to start forcing it to him at times. It was okay. Now I've got, you know, what was it? Marvin Jones and and some of these other guys. I'm like, all right, I'm going to go one, two, three, and just throw to whoever the guy open is. Not having Corey Davis, obviously, is not boisterous like Shockey was. He's not nearly as talented as Calvin Johnson was. But he is a player that it seemed like, from my perspective, watching these games, that Zach would lock in on and say, I want to get this dude the football. Like, he's my number one guy. I want to get him the football. Maybe it's because he's the only player really throughout training camp that he worked with every single day. Maybe it's because, like I said, he's the big-bodied physical guy who can create openings and, and work himself open with his, his body. I don't know the exact reason, but it seemed like if Corey was the read, that's where Zach was going. With him not in there now, and you're going out there with, you know, obviously, you'd like to have Keelan Cole, but you've got Denzel Mims. You've got now um, Braxton Berrios, Jamison Crowder, Elijah Moore. I don't think, aside from maybe Elijah, that Zach doesn't have a, a rapport or a, a undoubted chemistry with any of those guys. And I don't think any of those guys are the type of receiver that Zach's going into this one saying, I need to feed him the ball. Maybe Elijah to an extent, but Elijah's also a rookie. So I think this actually not having Corey Davis in there it does open up the possibility that you could see Zach now improve his read progressions where he's going, okay, Elijah's not there. I'm going to Braxton. Braxton's not there. I'm going to Jameis. Jameson's not there. I'm going to Denzel. Like you could see him actually going through his progressions now more so than I want to get the ball to Corey. I'm going to make sure I get the ball to Corey on this play. Be damned. I'm going to force the ball in there. Cause there were times where he was forcing the ball to Corey Davis several times. And they turned the ball over because of it. I think you could potentially see that subside somewhat, and obviously, for, for the fan perspective, no Corey Davis and no Keelan Cole means that you should get a healthy dosing of Denzel Mims. Which gets everybody excited. And in this chat yeah. everywhere, everybody wants to see Denzel Mims, right? All right, let's switch to the other side of the football and, you know, potential to be some scary stuff. When you look at how this Jets defense has handled the run a little bit this season, you think back to the Colts game when they gave up 260 yards on the ground. Well, the Eagles come in leading the league with 157.9 yards per game. They're second in the league in yards per carry at 5.2. So what do the Jets need to do differently? How does this Eagles running attack also, Connor, compare to what the Colts running attack does? Yeah, I think that's the crazy thing, right? Because that 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 game against the Colts was probably, I mean, I've covered a lot of really bad football games, but that one was probably the among the more embarrassing for a defense because the Jets were coming off the Mike White game. They were riding high. They were like the Cinderella story of the NFL. You know, Mike White was Offensive Player of the Week, Nick MVP. Uh, they, they think they've got a chance against a, a Colts I love that you always time. include the Nick MVP when we're talking about it. You got it. You got it. Yeah, absolutely have to MVP. Um, you, they, they, were, they were things that were, they were going their way, and they were finally a feel-good story, and guys were feeling good, and the guys during the locker room were going crazy, and they finally had a chance – on Thursday night football primetime to kind of show the world like the Jets aren't the laughing stock that people thought that they were. And instead against the Colts, like they just went 
I mean, the, the score, what, was 45-30 final. So, obviously, the Colts, you know, the Jets made it closer. But that game was never close. I mean, the Colts, the Colts were up to a 42-10 lead at one point. I got the stats now here. So, they scored on their first four possessions. They almost scored on the fifth because they had a fourth and goal at the Jets' one-yard line. Even though they stopped on that one, they scored on their next two possessions. You had Jonathan Taylor run for 172 yards and two touchdowns, just 19 carries. Hines had 74 yards and a touchdown on just six carries. And then obviously Carson Wentz with the defense, like, oh my God, we need to stop the run now. They brought everyone in. And that's when Wentz went 22 with 30 for 272 with three touchdowns and no interceptions. That's like just an ass beating. But the difference between the Colts and the Eagles, and, and the Colts have a number of players, Frank Wright and so many others on that coaching staff are, come from Philadelphia. They run a very similar playbook to what the Philadelphia Eagles do. I mean, there, there's the, obviously the the um, Sirianni is, is from Indianapolis. Like he worked for Frank Wright last year. So there's just the, the crossover is endless. But the difference between the Eagles and the Colts is that the Colts, while Carson Wentz is a somewhat mobile quarterback, he's more of like an elusive quarterback, right? Like he's not, he's not on plays trying to run. There are times when the Eagles go out there where they're just saying Jalen Hurts, their quarterback, is a running back. And they run him on sweeps and powers and 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 things like this where they they run him as a running back and then he'll throw, but it's almost like Runner first, quarterback second. And and earlier in the season, they were trying to throw the ball a ton with Hurts and let him air it out and let him air it out, let him air it out. Didn't really work. The Eagles' resurgence is when they've kind of rededicated themselves to the run game. And, and not only do they have a solid committee with Miles Sanders, who's had 458 yards this year, Boston Scott, 285, Jordan Howard, 274, and then Gainwell, 155. But Hurts is like the back that runs the actual offense. Like, the rushing attack runs through him. The guy's got 695 rushing yards this year. That's an average of 57.9 per game. You extend that through a 17-game season, and he's on pace for 984 yards, which would be the third most in a season from a quarterback rushing in NFL history. So, like, the Jets are going to have to watch this guy because you've seen in games against the Lions, games against the Saints, some of these games that the Eagles have won, a game against the the, uh, Denver Broncos, they won those games because of their ground game, but their ground game was so effective because of the quarterback. I mean, Hertz is popping off 80 yards a game, it seems like, every other time. So if the Jets are undisciplined, if they over-pursue, if they lock in on the running back and let the quarterback go free, he's going to run rampant. I mean, he's going to go crazy. And, and the one thing that I found fascinating is that Ulbrich said that he has basically challenged his guys. And the Jets have this 24-hour rule, right? And, and the Jets had it under Adam Gase as well, where you don't talk about a game after 24 hours. It's, that's, that's the only time you talk about it. It's 24 hours, in and out, you're done. That's it after it. Well, they've been spending a lot of time this week talking about the Colts game. They've been spending a lot of time remembering that Colts game, and not just because of the similarities between the two offenses, but because of how the Jets were embarrassed. This defense, and this is per Ulbrich, is looking at this game as an opportunity almost to write the score. They see this as an opportunity to say, we are not the team that we were. We are not that team that was beat up and, and blown out in, in Indianapolis at Lucas Oil Stadium. We're a better defense. We've been a better defense against the Dolphins. We were a better defense against the Texans. And against this team, it's averaging basically 200 rushing yards a game over the last five. This is our opportunity to shut them down and show the rest of the world, as Ulbrich said, quote, we're coming, unquote. That's a lot of talk for the Jets going into this one. They got to back it up. Because if you say, we want to show the world after this game we're coming, we want to show that we're better, we've been focusing on this, we didn't want a repeat of the Colts' performance, what a great opportunity, there's a pit in our stomachs, all the things that Ulbrich, C.J. Mosley, all these guys said yesterday and, and the day before, you can't say all that 
and then go have the Eagles run for 200 and beat you pretty bad at MetLife Stadium. So this one's shaping up to go to one extreme. Either the Jets are going to upset the Eagles, or the Eagles are probably going to run this one down the Jets' throat, and, and I'm curious to see how this one's going to go. But I do think the Jets have a chance in it. You mentioned not over-pursuing, and you look at this defense, and obviously C.J. Mosley should know better than to, to over-pursue with the amount of experience he has. But then you have Quincy Williams, who is a guy who just goes all out, right? Just like a maniac on the yeah. field. That's the kind of guy you worry about, even though he's been playing so well lately. Yeah, you know what's funny is, and I asked I asked Ulbrich about this. I talked to Quincy uh, yesterday one-on-one -on -one for a feature that we're going to run on The Athletic next week. Um, and one of the things I asked Ulbrich about is, you know, when he first got here, when Quincy first got here, it seemed like, and I, I probably used the wrong word because I said undisciplined and, and he actually used a better word for it. Um, but it seemed like he was just playing at 120 miles an hour every time when he was first in the lineup. And because of how fast he was playing, because of his athleticism, when he met a ball carrier, when he met a defensive, uh, an offensive player, anyone, receiver, tight end, running back, he would wallop them, you know? And when he walloped them, that obviously put him on all the highlights because all the big hits and that's what sells. But when Quincy wasn't making a big hit, he wasn't playing really well. In fact, he was, I said undisciplined, the way that Ulbrich phrased it was perfect. He said he was out of position. Is that it was either a big play or he was out of position. Big play, out of position. Ever since he's, they, they took him out of the lineup and they put Jared Davis in and then they took Jared Davis out and they put Quincy Williams back in, that hasn't been the case. It almost feels like he has been in position and much more disciplined far more often so that he's still making his big plays, but when he's not making his big plays, he's not hurting the defense either. And what Ulbrich said was that this is just a player now that's starting to get comfortable within the scheme. He's starting to learn this scheme. He's starting to understand how this scheme works and how those around him work. So he knows when to take his chances, when not to take his chances. And when that happens, when you start matching the understanding of a defense to the point where you don't have to necessarily think about what you're doing and you just have to go out there and do it, you naturally play much so much faster. When you're a player like Quincy Williams who has this next-level athletic ability – you playing faster on top of already being an incredibly fast linebacker really takes your game to the next level. And, and it's one of the reasons why Ulbrich was the first person to say it is that when this guy keeps getting better, he has Pro Bowls in his future. He's a Pro Bowl type linebacker because so few people, you match their physicality with speed and athleticism, but then an understanding and in a defense that maximizes those traits, you start to see what you're seeing from Quincy Williams. And I know that he's out there now, like kind of saying the, the you know, Pro Bowl train and, and, and he wants to be on the Pro Bowl this year. I don't think it's happening this year. But if he keeps keeps it up like this and the Jets continue to play well and the Jets continue to to build this team and and maybe next year, you know, they're a seven, eight, seven or eight win team, and the year after that they're a nine or ten win team, and then suddenly they're in the playoffs. Quincy's a guy that between his big hits, his acceleration, and his knack for finding the ball, I could absolutely see him being a Pro Bowl player. And and it's pretty crazy the Jets were able to just get him off the waiver wire from the Jaguars because in the Jaguars defense, they didn't believe he was a scheme fit. Speaking of Pro Bowl, there's no no Jets really sniffing it as far as the voting goes. Quinn and Williams, the closest, Quincy's brother, actually. Um, but, yeah, it's tough when you're on a team that, that has this record to, to get noticed like that. We're going to take another break. We'll come back with our picks, which uh, we kind of po positive Connor on the picks last week. We'll keep it going. All right, and now it is time for our picks presented by BetMGM. Uh, Connor, we, we made the picks for Thanksgiving. And we decided ahead of time that they were not going to count towards the season-long standings. And you nailed it 3-0. So that, that pretty much sums up your season. 
Uh, but overall, you went two and one last week. I went two and one last week. Marissa one and two. So a little slip yeah, up not at the good. top of the standings, opening the door a little bit. Uh, Marissa, you're up first. All right. So I've had a few bad weeks recently, but you know, still in first place, slow and steady. So wasn't so bad when you got promoted this week, though. Yes. <laughs> Senior podcast producer Marissa Morris. <laughs> Took forty minutes for that to get it. I'm very go. humble, Connor. <laughs> no, I'm I'm very excited, and I'm I love getting to work with all of my different shows. They all are unique, and I'm very lucky to be part of all of them. So including this one, including working that with was, you guys. That was coach speak, right? There. Yes. Yes. Um, all right. So Broncos at Chiefs, it's a nine and a half spread. We've talked a lot this year about the Chiefs and every time Tim picks them, they don't cover. I am actually going to be on the Broncos side of this. I think that's a big spread. So I'm going to go Bronco. It's Sunday night game, I believe. Yes. 820. So I'm going to go Broncos plus nine and a half with that one. Um, now, Jets fans, I don't want you to hate me, but I just I know this game is very important for the Eagles. And after getting embarrassed last week for the Giants, six and a half back at MetLife Stadium, I got to go Eagles minus six and a half. And then my last pick is going to be Steelers plus four and a half versus the Ravens. Um, the, I, I watched the Ravens last week. Um Unfortunately, they beat the Browns, but I, I think the Steelers need to save their season too. So in order to potentially make the playoffs, so I'm going to go Steelers plus four and a half for that last pick. Marissa's 18 and 15 in front in the standings. Connie, you're 16 and 17 now. So back within back, two though. games. What do you got? Get the brooms out. We're back. Here we go. <laughs> Um, so actually it's funny because the, the two teams that I bet the most are the Bengals and the Chargers and, and those two teams are playing each other right now. So um, the first one I'm going to go with is the Bengals minus three versus the Chargers. I, I love Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert's a stud. Um, but that Charger team's a little funky right now, and it's a little weird right now. And they're not doing a lot of the things that I thought they were going to do. They haven't taken off like you kind of expected them to after those first three, four games of the regular season when Herbert was, you know, a hot shot pick to be the MVP and all that stuff. So the Bengals, I think, are back. You know, they, they dealt with their little hiccups after losing to the Jets, and, and they kind of had some ramifications, aftershocks of that over the next couple of weeks. But it looks like they're back to playing really good football. Chase is, is still, I think, the front runner to be rookie of the year on offense. Uh, Burrow is a good player, a little bit of a gunslinger, but a really good quarterback. The offensive line's playing well. They also have P. Ryan behind Joe Mixon, has a great one-two punch at running back, and the defense is playing good football as well. The Chargers, obviously not home. They're a different team on the road, so I like the Bengals minus three. I love that that's a minus three game because you get it. At, you know, you can still push even if it's just a field goal game. If it goes down to two and a half, I like it even more, but Cincinnati minus three versus the Chargers. I like that one as my first pick. The other one, and I don't usually do this, but I do think the Jets are going to keep this one close against the Eagles, so that's seven-point line. I think that's fat. I, I, I think it that's six juicy. And a half. I had it at six and a half. Yeah, so it's going the other way. I mean, this I can't say it's because the, the line I got this is from our old sponsors, and they are no longer our <laughs> friends. Um, so I have the, uh, the Eagles at the Jets. I do like the Jets plus seven to try to cover that one, the home dog. Um, we're, they we're seem about, fired up. We're calling up. that one six and a half because that's, that's what um, it was on BetMGM. BetMGM. Okay. Okay, but I like seven more, so we're going to keep an eye on that to see if it changes at all before kickoff. Uh, so uh, either way, Jets six and a half, Jets seven. I actually think that's probably going to be a four-point game or so. I think there's a chance the Jets actually win it. I mean, if they can shut Herbert uh, – shut Herbert. Herbert. If they can shut Herbert down That would Hertz be pretty impressive the if the Jets could shut Herbert down this weekend, Connor. Yeah, oh, that ain't happening. 
but they can, I think they could shut Hurts down. If they shut Hurts down and force him to throw, I mean, he can be had. He's not a, he's not a good quarterback. Like I, I, I will go down in the boat saying this. Anyone who tells me Herbert, like just Jalen Hurts is actually an NFL quarterback, like go ahead, clip this and save it because the he's going to set not. some I mean, records this weekend. We all know. Now. I, I mean, well, the Jets are bad, so he might do that, but he's not a good quarterback. And the longer the Eagles stick with him as their quarterback, they're going to be they're just going to put themselves in turmoil. He's not that good. He's a great athlete, great guy. You can tell his teammates love him. But he's not a week one to week 18 NFL quarterback. He's just not. He's limited in what he can do from a passing perspective. If the Jets can force him to pass the ball, you will see that on Sunday. So I think the Jets have a chance to keep that close. I think the Jets have a chance actually to pull the upset as well. I don't, I don't think the Eagles are as good as some people do. Uh, and the final game that I like is the Patriots at the Bills on Monday night. Uh, wow. The Mac Jones sanity is getting a little bit hot. And the Mac Jones sanity is getting a little bit crazy. I think the Bills are going to have enough of that. And I think that could actually be a game that that is a, a, a route. So I like the Bills minus three. I actually would like the Bills a lot more than that because I think they win that one uh, comfortably. I actually, uh, I'm 14, 18, and one, by the way. I try to not have to say that, but it's been a rough go. I actually agree with you on that one, Connor. And the Patriots have been really good to me as far as these picks go this season. But I feel like the win streak, the way it's at, they're a little banged up now. Buffalo, kind of wounded animal. Um, they need to win more at this point, I think. So Buffalo minus three, I got that too. Uh, I'm taking the Dolphins minus four against the Giants. Um, the Giants won last week, which is just weird, but I feel like it's a return to reality this week. Uh, the Dolphins, I wish it was minus three, but at minus four, I'll still go with it. And then finally, I'm so fed up with the Seahawks that I'm picking against them this week. Niners minus three and a half at Seattle. So this will be the week that the Seahawks find their game and get resurgence and, uh, and win one. But I'm going with the Niners minus three and a half. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Can't Wait Podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening or watching. You can save 33% off a subscription to The Athletic. Go to theathletic.com slash can't wait. We will be back with you early next week with a full recap of the Eagles game. Could they stop the run? Did Zach Wilson get things going? We'll react next week. We'll talk to you later.